Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. A darkness has overtaken the land. As the entirety of the countryside is beset by the dark magic of one Ganondorf. The townsfolk cry out to the sky for a hero to arrive and save them all. It is then that Lionel bounds quickly to the magical castle that acts as Ganondorf's domicile. I have what I need to defeat this evil, so defeat this evil I must. Walking into the front chamber, Ganondorf teleports into the center of the room. I've been expecting you, kitty cat. Let's see if you are worthy on this day. And with that, the battle begins. It's the Scourge of Hyrule versus Lord of the Thundercats. It's Swine versus Feline. It's Ganondorf versus Lion-O. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gabsy, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stacanus. Now, today's battle pits two classic characters from the worlds of gaming and animation in a titanic battle. In one corner, you have Ganon, a.k.a. Ganondorf, Link's main and legendary antagonist in the Legends of Zelda gaming franchise, versus Lionel, Lord of the Thundercats, an icon from the golden age of 1980s animation who has remained relevant to the present day. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this matchup has been discussed. And this matchup has been discussed but just a few really specific times. And as usual, this is really surprising. It just never comes to a clear and decisive conclusion until hmm. now, thankfully, thanks to the Who Would Win treatment, this battle is rightfully going to get. With all that being said, Ray, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I'm not surprised that people have at least referenced this before. It felt pretty comfortable when we put it together in the boardroom, you know, to celebrate the new Zelda game. Lion-O's due for a redemption match, so here we go. And I'm not surprised that nobody's come to a conclusion. Let's face it, a lot of people, when it comes to these types of who-would-win conversations, like to blather and blather on about uh, nitpicky nuance and, 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 just, and hear themselves talk and repeat themselves over and over again. I, however, like to actually win these fights, so I'm glad that we're doing it today. And let's just address the elephant in the room first. This show came out a day later than expected. Robert Clark Chan is the judge. Boy, wonder if something happened with this previously scheduled judge. Who can tell? Maybe we just love having Robert Clark Chan in the room. Look, as I mentioned earlier, Robert Clark Chan is a fan favorite for many reasons, and having him on the show today is going to be a gift, Ray, a gift, I believe, as long as he gives me the win. Look, Ray, I actually wanted to talk about you something kind of interesting. Um, this has been happening a little bit more frequently. The other day, I'm out in public talking with someone, just having a coffee, and someone else turns around and says, are you from the Who Would Win show? And of course, I'm Stop like, it. yes. 
Yeah, no, by the way, absolute true story. And this is happening. It's actually happening. It's happening more and more, which is, by the way, I love it, but also really, really interesting because I'm just not sure what the right way is to react. Obviously, I want to be gracious. I want to be thankful. I want to be polite and say, wow, thanks for listening to the show. But Ray, I want to kind of turn to you. When you're recognized in public, how do you react to that? I usually just run uh, because it's the authorities. And uh, what I hear you saying is me, who famously hates leaving the house for any reason whatsoever, now has another reason to stay home and avoid public spaces. Thank you, James Gavsey, for alerting me to the possibility of these people. Ray, seriously. So so let's say, let me paint a picture. You're at, you're at uh, I don't know, Burger King. And you, you're at the front of the line, you're arguing and yelling with a person who's trying to just serve you like, you know, a burger and fries and, you know, trying to get you that crown that you've been asking for for so often. And they recognize you were like, wait, 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 Ray, Ray, Ray is hashtag Ray is right. Hashtag Ray has been robbed. Ray is robbed, whatever. Oh my God, it's Ray Stacanus. Tell me you wouldn't be thrilled to have someone reveal themselves as a fan of you and as a fan of the Who Would Win show. Of everyone's a fan of me, James, but please, like I want to mingle amongst the people. You've seen the things they post on Twitter and Facebook and the IG, I hear the kids are calling it. This is not anything I would actually want to associate myself in a real life environment. It's bad enough that I have to read their insane, inane, dumb, dumb, dumb postings on the internet. That's enough for me. Oh, Ray Stacanus. Again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You're the reason I believe that we can't have nice things. All right, listen, let's see what our esteemed judge thinks about all of this. And we recognize probably how, what the right way is that a classy individual should respond to them. Making another appearance on the Who Would Win show. It's improv master. It's insanely talented comedian. It's podcaster extraordinaire. Yeah, you know who it is. It's Robert Clark Chan. Robert, welcome back to Who Would Win. Man. Things have really gone to hell in a handbasket since I was here last, huh? What was it two episodes ago? What is happening? Come on, judges, get your poop together. I mean, we love having you on, and there's no other reason we wouldn't have you on repeatedly, Robert Clark Chan. <laughs> Look, I know, and it's fine. I've been doing, I've been at this for a while. I, I've been podcasting for a long time, and stuff happens. Stuff happens. Uh, usually not huge power outages, so that was a new one on me, but uh, yeah, I've seen it. Robert Clark Chan, look, I'm just going to tell you the absolute truth. I may have had something to do with this tonight because I don't know. We're having an 80s icon that has been discussed on another popular podcast, knowing it's half the podcast. And, you know, we have a character from gaming and, you know, Race of Games is so great at repping the characters from video games, what have you. And I am not. So I wanted to have a judge on here who could kind of see through the madness and kind of put all of the ingredients together to give us an amazing show, which is why I may have, I don't know, swayed the production team to uh, convince them to bring you onto the show it's just because you're that awesome. Look, before we go into all of this, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, what you've been up to. Uh, you know, doing the thing, doing the podcast, knowing it's half the podcast, AE Double Back. Those are things you should check out. I'm also doing a live show at the Alamo Draft House this May 18th, 2023. So go check, go down to the Alamo Draft House because it's a fun place anyway and see a live comedy show. That's a thing you should do. Wow. Okay, I th anyone who's in the area should go check out that show. Now, Robert Clark Chan, as a podcaster, you know, uh, uh, a man about town, if you will, clearly 
your greatness has been recognized out in public. People see you. They lose their minds. They're, you know, they proclaim that they're the biggest fans of yours of all time. What is the appropriate way? What is the, I don't know, procedural method to deal with fans or people of your fan base? I hate it. I hate it. Hate it. Wow. Hate it. I do not know what percentage of celebrities are actually huge introverts and they don't like to uh, go uh, go out and be recognized because they hate themselves and they don't believe it when anybody tells them that uh, they're wonderful. But it's it's, uh, actually kind of more high than you would think. And I am definitely one of those. So uh, if you see me in the street, here's the thing. A, you won't recognize me in the streets because it's a podcast. B, if you recognize me for my voice, you'll probably say, oh, hey, uh, nice to meet you, Ray Stacanus, in which case I will gladly say yes, and I will uh, pretend, I will say all sorts of horrible things. So I guess, I guess, yeah. If someone does come at me in the street, you know, Robert they'll Clark get Chan, what they I'm going to have to disagree with you because I saw you with a young fan who met you in person and was so thrilled to meet you that one time in person that you know you saw the the glimmer in their eye and you autographed their shirt and you you treated them so well and you were just such a source of inspiration i'll never forget that day because that young fan who you inspired to greatness was a young James Gabsey. Wow. And I'll never forget how starstruck I was. I'm like, oh my God, it's Robert Clark Chan. It's Robert Clark Chan. Race to Canada is like, James, calm it down, calm it down. I'm like, shut up. I know what I'm doing. And it's Robert Clark Chan. And I was losing my mind. And then you came up to me like, well, hello there, young man. What is, you know, in that kind of weird way you talk sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown. Actually, that was Kevin Conroy. Sorry. I was thinking of someone else. I was thinking, no, I see what you're saying, Robert. You're not too nice to people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I often get mistaken for Batman too by my five-year-old who doesn't know any better. That's fair. All right, we have everything we need to have another iconic episode of the Who Would Win show. So with all that being said, Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Nintendo, the villain who's always clean. All right, that might just be hogwash. Ganondorf. And representing Thundercats, the hero who will drop everything to follow a red laser pointer in the sky, Lion-O. You ever notice that? The Thundercat symbol is basically I, a big red laser pointer. But it, but is lion following it, or are the rest of the Thundercats Well, all cats. All kinds. All cats. That's fair. That's fair. All right, well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Look, I'm going with the iconic 1980s version of Lino. Ray, what version of Ganon will you be using today? I am going with the video game version of Ganondorf slash Ganon. It turns out that much like Unicron, he is a singularity. Mm. He is. Sorry, Robert Park Jam. So hurtful. Good luck with that. 
Heck yes. Rule number four. Debate is one of these examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to leave The Who Would Win Show a five-star rating and a fantastic written review wherever you download and listen to podcasts. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, you can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's going to do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Ganondorf. Ganondorf is the main villain of the Legend of Zelda video game series. He was created by Shigeru Miyamoto and first appeared in The Legend of Zelda way back in 1986. Battling Link and capturing the princess is just how Ganondorf lives. Originally the leader of the nomadic Gerudo, 
Ganondorf has the ability to transform into the huge pig-like creature Ganon. A master of combat as well as magic, Ganondorf has appeared in many memorable boss battles, and someday we may see him lead an army of monsters to conquer Hyrule once and for all. Fun fact, when making the Zelda game Ocarina of Time, the team made the choice to reference actual human beings as inspiration for their 3D models in the game. This includes Ganondorf and his humanoid form. The person they chose to base Ganondorf's look after, you'll never guess it, <laughs> Highlander actor Christopher Lambert. <laughs> Will we what? someday, yep. Will we someday see a Lambert off between Ganondorf and Lord Raiden from the Mortal Kombat movie on the Who Would Win show? Only time will tell on that one. Why is that not and the that battle this week? Ganondorf. Oh my God, it's amazing. Wait a second. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a second. So uh, Ganon is it Ganon and Ganondorf, both these buff, huge, powerful beings. And you're saying out of Highlander, they, it was Christopher Lambert, yeah. uh, not the Kurgan. Uh, if you can, if you look at the face of Ganondorf right next to the face of Christopher Lambert, you still can't really <laughs> see it. But they promised that that's no. what they that's, that's what they did. <laughs> uh, in the immortal words of uh, was it Mr. Mackey from South Park? Drugs are bad. Okay, like that is some horrible. I have no idea how they found that. All right. Very cool. Here are the details for Lionel. Lionel, the protagonist of the iconic 80s cartoon, The Thundercats, was created by Tobin Wolf and first appeared in the series premiere back in 1985. Prince Lionel of Thundera was only 12 years old when his planet was destroyed. Fleeing the planet with the elite group of Thundarians known as the Thundercats, Lionel and the other passengers of his spaceship entered stasis until they could reach a planet. Somehow, Lionel's suspension was interrupted, and when the ship landed on Third Earth, his body had aged into adulthood, though his mind had not. As Lord of the Thundercats, Lionel seeks to create a new home for his remaining people while fighting to keep the Eye of Thundera and the Sword of Omens, Thundera's powerful heirloom artifacts, out of the hands of the evil sorcerer Mumra. And here's an interesting fact about the Thundercats. Did you know that the Thundercats call home called Third Earth is actually the original planet Earth? It's true. Thundercats creator wanted to have an Earth that had elements of oldness and legends mixed with beings possessing advanced technology. The name of Third Earth is indicative of the fact that the original planet Earth is in some type of third phase, meaning the Earth we live on is Earth 1 currently. Something in the future happens to create second Earth, and the Thundercats are now on and defending third Earth as it's mysteriously the third age or iteration, which makes so much more sense than doing something like, I don't know, calling the third iteration of the Empire the First Order, especially since there were two iterations before the first order came to be, since we had the clone army of the Republic, the stormtroopers and the Empire, and which meant that the first order should have been called the third order. Look, I am still freaking bitter about the Star Wars sequels. Why are they still canon? Disney, you I know you're listening for a fact. I know there's people listening, checking out the thing. Make this real, cancel the sequels, take them out of canon, and just do the world a favor. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Robert, do you have any questions before we get started? I don't see what problem you could have with the first order clearly it's a reboot of the original and not a strict sequel kind of like the evil dead movies i yeah yeah no 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 i i like i like the uh sequels robert clarchan um you what you just said was the exception 
to mm-hmm. the rule of mm-hmm. everything else that you do and say being absolutely fantastic. I get it. You're 99.99% amazing. I'm here to antagonize both of you. It's all good. We're still good. James, I'm sorry. You're just wrong about this. The uh, the, the Force Awakens at part in seven is a pretty darn good movie. There's really nothing to be objectionable about it. Last Jedi is, you know, much uh, uh, maligned, but it's fine. It's a perfectly acceptable movie. And I like Rise of Skywalker part nine a lot. I think they pack a lot of Star Wars into uh, that movie. Uh, James, I'm sorry, and the internet will agree with me. The sequels were pretty good after all, if you look back on them. I think 7, 8, 9 are terrible. Did you hear the thunderclap? That was the millions upon millions of people facepalming at the same time off of what Ray just said. Ray, hashtag Ray, you're wrong on this one. That's all I'm going to say. Listen, I could go on, and I have, by the way, on why the sequels are horrible, but we're not here for that. We're here to why get Why are we still talking about Star Wars in this battle? Point number one for Ganondorf. Let's just start with some of the physical things that he can do. We'll get into his magic and other craziness a little bit later. But first off, Ganondorf is a very large character, right? Lionel, what is, he's a cat. We don't know how big he is. What is he, like 5'10"? pretty assumptive Ganondorf in his humanoid form. I saw him clocked in at seven foot seven. This guy is a gigantic buff minute bull out there blocking shots and taking names, probably nearly two feet taller and bigger all around than Lionel. So this is a real David and Goliath sort of a battle. And we all remember what happened in that battle. Goliath thumped him. So the other point I'm trying to make is when he turns into this Ganon form, which is this pig monster, that's even bigger. So we're talking about something that's like multiplicity sizing of Lionel. And it's very hard to beat somebody who's literally two, three, four times bigger than you are. I'm just saying right now, I'm well over six feet tall. And every time I get into a fight with somebody two feet tall and below, I destroy them. Every single time. It's not really that hard. That's what we're talking about here. But some of the things that Ganondorf has done, his durability is on point. This is a guy who's taken repeated sword slashes from Link, including when he wielded the Master Sword, and was able to just take them without really showing a whole lot of ill effects whatsoever, if you look back at many of these boss fights. On top of it, he was once on top of a tower, Using his own magic, he caused the entire tower that he was on, the top of this big, tall castle tower, to collapse. And he collapsed with him as a part of it. And everybody sat back and went, "Uh uh-oh, Ganondorf's in trouble, till he just calmly stepped out of the rubble and kept on going. And one thing that Ganondorf doesn't get a lot of credit for, he has the ability to be fast. He has a speed when he wants to. This is a guy who can dodge arrows pretty easily through the air. And if you can dodge arrows, you can dodge whatever uh, ranged attack Lionel's going to try to hit you with. But more importantly, at one point, Ganondorf speed rushed Link. He was able to charge in on him. I think he did a flip in the air and came at him with a speed that Link didn't have an answer for, and he was able to hit Link before he could even react. And when Ganondorf hits you, you tend to go flying and break the thing that you hit, whether it's the floor, another person's body, concrete, does not matter. He's strong, too. This is a character who puts his head down. He could charge his way through stone columns and just shatter them as he's jamming through them one after another. And weaponry. 
He's known as this character who carries this trident. Now, this is a magical trident that he can summon from absolutely nothing. He cannot be disarmed because he can basically rematerialize the trident in his hand whenever he would like to using his magic. This is a trident that he can throw and it boomerangs and will come back to him every single time, which means that you can't just worry about it coming, but going as well. This is also a trident that can shoot energy blasts out of it. And one exciting thing that I found is one time he shot a bolt of energy from the trident that sent whoever got hit by the energy bolt into the dark world, another dimension. You could shoot somebody into another dimension. You have what it takes to defeat Lion-O and get ready for your battle against Lord Raiden at a future date. Battle of champions. Just saying. That's my point number one. So much to push back on. So much. We're even get started. All right, just like the uh, sequels with Captain Phasma, you have someone who looks physically menacing and looks like they're just this powerhouse of beyond powerhouses. And unfortunately, Captain Phasma, just like Anne, they're going to be taken out a little bit easier than you expect, unfortunately. Now, first of all, Ganon's huge. That's cool. Lionel's actually 6'9". 6'9", and he's heavily muscled, not like where he's weighed down like a bodybuilder, but he's like a 6'9 looking linebacker, uh, which probably puts him at, I don't know, 380, maybe 420 pounds of something that can move in a really agile fashion. That's pretty cool. Now, Lion is also taken on, beaten tanked attacks from kaiju-sized dragons, monsters all over Third Earth, and these killer robots that come after. Remember, Third Earth has this combination of sorcery, cool monsters, and tech, and Lionel has has to take on all of it and he does really well on top of that you know it's funny ganon can tap into this speed that's cool but he doesn't have it automatically he has to tap into it he has to access it and then it, he gets the speed it's not automatic lionel on the other hand has super speed automatically whenever he needs it it's just there and finally i like the magical trident i like how it boomerangs back but when you boomerang a trident back it still takes a few seconds to get back to you it's not super fast in terms of the return speed back to uh, Ganon's hand. Now, with all that being said, Ganon sounds pretty awesome. But let's talk about my point number one. And my point number one, let's talk about the awesomeness of the powers and abilities of Lionel. Now, in terms of all of this, you got to remember, Lionel is the Lord of the Thundercats, which means on top of being their leader, he has to have incredible physicals to kind of maintain that hierarchy, that leadership position. So, for example, Lionel is superhumanly strong, probably able to lift at least 50 tons, if I were to take a guess. A lot of places say he's way stronger but let's say it's a 50 ton base strength and that's his base that's where he starts at because he can get a whole lot stronger more than that later he's super fast he can run up to at least 120 miles per hour and on top of being super fast he's super agile and he has superhuman reflexes we'd see him just the opening credits where he's dodging lasers and just flying all over the place awesome stuff on top of that on top of that, his reflexes, his speed, all that kind of good stuff, and he's able to dodge multiple thrusts and attacks and, and blasts of energy moving at blur speeds, and also able to direct um, to deflect automatic laser rifle from multiple opponents coming at him from all directions with ease. So imagine he's surrounded by people shooting lasers at him, and he's deflecting all of them from every direction with ease. This is crazy. He's also received a great deal of weapons, martial arts, and fighting training for Panthro, uh, the Thundercats resident expert fighter and fighting and tech genius and guru. And on top of that, he's just this fighting savant. He's someone who knows how to fight really, really well and has this high level of strategy. I guess that's why he's Lord of the Thundercats. Now, let's put this all together and see some 
impressive feats that Lionel has done. He's strong enough to pull a massive spaceship to the ground. This spaceship was already in air, trying to fly into space with his rockets on full blast, and Lionel pulled it to the ground using ropes and just, or, you know, bringing it down. He's able to somehow hold the planet of Third Earth together. That's planetary level strength that he can access more on that later. He's so durable than when he got hit by a tail from a kaiju-sized dragon whipping its tail at him. Lionel got knocked over and just got back up and he was absolutely fine. He tanked it like it was nothing. He has his panoramic vision due to him being part cat in nature, which means he can literally see something coming at him from a mile away. His sense of hearing and smell is also superhuman. I can't imagine Ganon doesn't smell bad. Lionel's going to see this guy coming a million miles away. Now let's talk about his super speed. He actually raced Chitara, who is the resident speedster, speedster of the Thundercats, the flash of the Thundercats. And in a five-mile race... Lionel beat Chitara in that race. That is crazy. And in terms of durability, he easily survived going into the molten core of the planet and also easily survived being in the vacuum of space because of 80s magic, as some people like to say. Look, on top of that, I already mentioned he's an expert fighter. And not even once in the entirety of the Thundercats, I call this the race to Canis Point, not even once in the entire history of the 1980s series of Thundercats did Lionel ever bleed. Not once. Wonder how many times Ganondorf has bled in the Legends of Zelda franchise. I'm assuming it's more than once, but Lionel, not a scratch, no bleeding. Somehow he can just get away with that, and he's fought a whole bunch of people with swords and sharp, pointy objects, and no bleeding whatsoever. When you add all this together, you quickly see why Lionel has beaten, as in literally physically beaten, pretty much any opponent who challenged him. All of that is my point number one. Look, much like the entire collection of music that can be found on the streaming service title, I'm not hearing it by choice, James. You're actually going to make the argument that in an 80s cartoon with standards and practices, he didn't bleed, therefore Lionel can't bleed. Well, I will counter that by saying The Legend of Zelda games, it's much more expensive to render blood, and it takes a child-friendly game up into the mature stratospheres, a thing that many Zelda games, or at least most all of them, refuse to go. So I would counter that Ganondorf also has not bled and will not bleed James Gavsey because the censors of the video game industry will not allow it. I will talk about the big weakness of Lion-O walking in the door. And that is his maturity. He has issues with it. He's young. He's impetuous. He doesn't think through his actions. Now, Link, when Link eventually beats Ganondorf slash Ganon in his games, has to go through an entire quest to find all the pieces of the Triforce or find all the magical weapons and all the power-ups and get high enough level to do it. That's how he does it. And he also has to do it with like a team of people behind him. Sears, Wizard, Zelda, it doesn't matter. Lionel just diving in is not going to be ready for this. It's the equivalent of going to fight Ganon at the very start of Breath of the Wild. Not suggested if you don't know what you're doing. Interesting points, interesting counterpoints. Let's go to the judge. Robert Clark Chan, you've heard one point from both Ray and myself. Uh, Where's your well, head at so far with this battle? First off... The countering of uh, TV standards with video game standards is possibly the greatest rebuttal I have heard on the show. Been here for a while, so real slick move there, Ray. <laughs> I like it. Uh, there is a whole lot of 80s magic that Lionel's got going on, and so a lot of that stuff, uh, kind of like when uh, a wrestler gives you their height and weight, you got to scale it back because they're probably not actually that tall and that big. And so, you know, even though Lionel, he's got those 80s pecs and whatnot, like, yeah, the surviving the molten core in space, like a little bit of cartoon stuff that probably not going to hit too hard. That being said, uh, Ganon 
basically amounts to he's a very strong basketball player. Like, congrats on bringing in Minute Bowl as uh, your reference point, but it's <laughs> it sounds like he's just a really uh, uh, strong human being. <laughs> uh, physically, like Lano just like uh, whips him like six ways from Sunday. So at this point, Lano's way ahead. I don't expect him to stay that way long, but um, yeah, uh, you got some catching up to do. Leave it to someone like Robert Clark Chan to go against the grain because every other judge is like, well, it seems pretty even at first. In the back of my head, I'm like, really? It does? Really? And then all of a sudden, Robert Clark Chan comes out and just says the raw truth. I'm ahead in this battle, and I should probably just be given the win right now. But let's go ahead with our point number two just to see where this battle goes. Ray, go ahead and hit it, do your magic. Let's hear your point number two. Point number two for Ganondorf. Let's get into the real parts of this battle then, and that's the magic, because he is a magical character. He is a master of magic. He belongs to the Gerudo tribe, which is a mostly matriarchal society, and somehow, and I don't know how this works, once every hundred years, a male is born into this tribe, and then by prophecy then leads the tribe because he's all magical, because he's the only male for a hundred years. I don't, I don't know enough science to, to dispute it, but something feels off about that to me. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is he is a magically imbued being. This is a guy who can shoot magical energy blasts. He does so many different types of magical energy blasts of all shapes and sizes. We've got balls of magic, uh, some that are electrified in nature, some that he will shoot out and they will explode, some that are purely made of fire, a pure fireball D&D style. He can also create a ring of these balls of magic and shoot them out several at once uh, whenever he wants to. At one point in a boss battle, I saw him create a triangle on the floor, which after a couple of seconds burst out with energy that could potentially blast Link with an energy attack that's room-sized whenever the heck he felt like it. He also has control of the elements. This is a guy who can summon lightning, much like Thor, the god of thunder. This is a guy who can uh, conjure storms. Obviously, in all these Zelda games, what do we notice at first? Darkness has befallen the land now that Ganon is powered, powered up and taking uh, names and taking over. So he can create darkness. He can create all of these things. I don't think darkness is going to help because, you know, cats see in the dark, I think. I think mine does finds its way to me somehow when it's hungry. My point I'm trying to make here is not only can he work lightning and storms and big winds, he can create shockwaves in the ground by stomping his feet and he can create earthquakes. You know, the thing that trips up the flash when he's trying to run is uneven uh, surfaces, right? Isn't that a big thing that it can really mess with a speedster is if the ground under them isn't stable. So when Lionel's trying to run at 120 miles per hour, it's going to hurt him real bad when the earth is shaking and moving and trembling, that's going to slow him down in such a ways that he can be blasted with an energy bolt without any problem. Also, he can fly. Ganondorf can fly. And what do we say in who would win battles? The guy who can fly has a strong advantage, especially if he can shoot energy from the sky against the guy on the ground who can't. Also, he can turn invisible when he wants to. There have been entire boss battles. He turns completely invisible and then just fights from the darkness, essentially. That's going to be hard to manage. 
He could also summon monsters. At one point, he summoned spectral horsemen who came on mass and fought along his side. He can create an entire host and armies of monsters to fight at his side seemingly whenever he wants to. Look, he can't just conquer the land by himself. He needs an army. Part of the magic is summoning that army. So when Lion-O comes in, don't make the mistake of thinking this is a fair fight, a one-on-one battle. Ganondorf will, ins- will insist that it is not. Last couple to talk about, he can create magical barriers around him and around places that he is in. So if Lionel tries one of those super powerful, you know, plot-busting bolts of energy, he can put up a force field around him to take that blow encounter with whatever he needs to. And he also has access to a sleep spell that has worked on Zelda. And if there's one thing I've learned about having cats is getting them to sleep unless it's four in the morning is very easy to do. Cats love sleeping. I would think that a sleep spell would work triple, quadruple, 10 times better against a cat-based being than against anyone else. If it works on Zelda, it'll work on Lionel, and that's my point number two. Okay, two things I gotta say right away. Uh, Ganondorf just sounds awesome, absolutely fantastic character, and the second thing is Lionel has actually already been there, done that, beaten all of that, and everything you just said with all of the opponents he has to face in the iconic 1980s Thundercats cartoon, listen, Lionel, okay, Masters of Magic, yeah, Lionel has beaten a ton of those, including Mumra, but we'll get to that later, Energy Blast, Fire, Electricity, my favorite, Energy Rings, Energy Ring of Balls. I think that's my new license plate right there. Yeah, Lionel's dealt with all that kind of good stuff. He's dealt out. This is nothing new for him. He's already seen this a million times. Uh, you know, while he can conjure storms. Again, not something Lionel's going to have a problem with. By the way, he can do the same thing with a sword. And uh, Lionel has better uh, balance, you know, and reflexes than just a regular human being running really fast, which is why if he ever, you know, see he's running super fast and something's in his way, he can flip out of the way at super height, super speeds, super speeds. He's not getting tripped up. Uh, the Sword of Romans can help Lionel fly. Fun fact. And speaking of summoning monster armies, really race to Canis? You want to bring in monster armies for Lionel to fight? Yeah, guess what he has to do on a daily basis? The moment he lands on Thundera, he's taking on the hordes of the mutants. You know, all of those uh, weird animalistic creatures. There's a monkey, there's a lizard, there's a vulcan, well, a vulture, whatever person. And they have each of them have their own armies. That's something he does all the time. They may as well be the equivalent of a stormtrooper wearing a red shirt from Star Trek. He's taking them out. Bring on the armies. That's something he does all day, every day. All right, before we go any further, I just want to say, James, watch it with that license plate talk. You're going to raise the ESRB rating of this show. We're trying to make it friendly for all ages. Don't get us that M, please. Fair point. Fair point. All right. No more talk about the uh, energy ring of balls. Never bring up energy ring of balls. No more M rating. What are you doing? Sorry. Point number two. Let's talk about the legendary weapons of Lionel. So let's start with the iconic Sword of Omens. You knew I was going to go there. Now, Ganon is known for fighting and losing a Master Swordsman in the form of Link. We know this, but has he ever dealt with someone who had a sword that matched the crazy power and abilities of the Sword of Omens and what it could do? Let's see. Now, the Sword of Omens starts off as a dagger, then can grow to a sword even much larger. The sword is super sharp, and although it's not indestructible, it is super durable. It can cut through almost everything. It's known for repelling 
all types of dark magic, especially that from Mumra and all the other master magicians of the dark arts, what have you, that he encounters in the 1980s series, which is iconic, by the way. On top of that, the sword can create super powerful force fields. And just like Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, it can be summoned from a distance and thrown to where it will always come back to him at super speed. That beats that boomerang cool action that Ganondorf has with his sword. The sword can shoot lightning, fire, lasers, and even a tractor beam. And this tractor beam is strong enough to pull a large spaceship to the ground on its own without Lionel having to do anything. It's kind of got like the force within the sword. And with it, with the sword, Lionel can use the sword to give him sight beyond sight. One of my favorite things. This is where Lionel uses the sword up close. says, Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. And the Sword of Omens kind of surveys events across time and space to get warnings of danger that's about to come. In other words, the sword may be able to provide some insight into only the danger that Ganon represents, but also how to possibly beat him, because he does point out weaknesses of the opponents he's about to face. He's got this precog thing going on with the Sword of Omens. The sword is also highly reflective, can reflect energy blasts of all types, including magical attacks. The sword can shoot blasts of energy. I've already talked about that. It's got different degrees of strength of energy can shoot out. And it's capable of stunning, electrocuting opponents, melting through materials such as titanium, solid rock, blasting through and apart massive structures with explosive force, can even vaporize huge targets. It also has released enough power to overload an opponent's ability to absorb energy and repel the full firepower of a massive space warship. This is crazy, but there's more, of course. Lionel also has the Claw Shield, which is super durable. She's, you know, the Sword of Omens. You can just put it on the side. And the Claw Shield is super durable, acts as a great shield against all types of weapons and energy blast and attacks. It's got these cool four grappling hooks that can shoot out far distances and help Lionel travel like Batman does with his grapple gun. And it can also be used to tie up an opponent. It also has a really cool, powerful smoke screen and it gives Lionel increased punching power. Which, listen, when you can lift 50 tons and you can run super fast and kind of do a miniature version of Ray's favorite technique called the infinite mass punch on a smaller scale... Why not have something on your hand that makes you punch even harder? Because that's just awesome. Listen, with the Sword of Omens and the Claw Shield, Lionel also knows how to use it like an expert. Like, he's already intuitively understanding how to use the Claw Shield, you know, as a shield. Almost like, not as well as Captain America can with his shield, but still very, very high level. Plus, with that sword, look, put these two things together. And just like what happened to Mumra, Ganon's going to get overwhelmed. That's my point number two. All right, all right. Take it easy over there, hotshot. You're trying to say he does all the same things that Ganon already does, but stop it, because Ganondorf, even in his lowest form, can reflect energy blasts that are shot at him right back to sender again. So Lion-O is going to try his little magical attack. He's going to power it up. We're talking spirit bomb levels, and he's going to shoot it right at Ganondorf, and it's going to come right back at his face with rocket speed. He's not going to have time for that. And oh no, can he use a tractor beam against a spaceship? What's well, a good thing Ganondorf's not getting in a spaceship anytime soon and trying to fly away? This isn't even going to matter even a little bit. A flying Ganondorf is not going to get tractor beamed back down to Earth. He's far too small a target at a distance for something like this to actually hurt him. And the big thing I want to talk about here, Ganondorf, he, this is a guy who in the Ocarina of Time game... The end of it split. He's so powerful, he split the entire timeline and canon of Legend of Zelda three different ways when uh, the end of the Ocarina of Time happened. You can look this up. Literally, he either defeats Link or is defeated by Link, who then turns into a small child for some reason, or he defeats Link, who turns into an adult, who then, I think, like, dreams of being a child. Look, Zelda canon gets real, real weird, but the important thing, and the one that created the most games, 
is the timeline where Ganondorf defeated Link at the end of his own game in the canon. That's insane. That's the level of power we're talking about here. Again, these are all interesting points. We've got two incredible characters that we're going back and forth. I'm loving this battle because, look, we're at the turning point right now where, after hearing two points from Ray and myself, Robert Clark Chan is going to tell us who's ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Robert has to say... Let's celebrate the Who Would Win Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Who Would Win Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today we have, who do we have today? Today we have a very special uh, 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 opponent. We got Eric Hiding. Eric Hiding, it is your day in the sun. Yikes. Okay, uh, we need a special opponent for Eric. Maybe special opponents... Oh, I got something. Let's have Eric go against the tag team of tag teams. Eric, you're fighting Big Bird and Snuffleupagus. This is a rough battle. I mean, first off, Eric Hiding's big thing is denial of realities that he does not agree with, right? If Eric Hiding is walking down the street and he sees an airplane flying above his head. He just looks up and goes, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think that's possible. And the airplane starts you know, coming down to the ground. It can't fly anymore in the presence of Eric Hiding. So where that's as important is Big Bird and, and Snuffleupagus show up, right? And the first thing that he does is he cuts this battle in half by turning to Snuffleupagus and being like, no one believes you exist. I don't either. And then he just vaporizes like a Thanos snap and Snuffleupagus just disappears into the night because Eric Hiding doesn't believe in him. And then from there, and what gets really terrifying is he turns to Big Bird and he says, uh, isn't actor Carol Spinney just inside of you? At which point Big Bird has a horrific body horror moment as he realizes that there is a human being inside of him who then bursts out through the costume Big Bird's done, Snuffleupagus is done, Eric, you done won this battle by just the thought process and belief alone. Congratulations. It was horrifying, but you earned it. You know, my, my childhood has been ruined, and this battle was, what's the right word, so meta. I mean, but Eric, you, you can't deny the results. Congratulations. Great win on your part. Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Now back to the turning point. Robert, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? Honestly, I had a bunch of thoughts, and then... I got this vision of Carol Spinney jumping out of Big Bird's chest like a xenomorph in Alien, and uh, I got nothing. It's all gone. <laughs> I don't know what happened. That's insane. Uh, okay, it's coming back to me now. It seems like the Sword of Omens is real, real strong, and I don't have a real strong recollection of the show, so I don't know how much he relies on it. How much is this one of those things where, uh, you know, it just pops out at the end of the episode, uh, you know, because, like, obviously you can't use it at the beginning of the episode. Otherwise, you're, you know, magical. Th there's no episode. Um, but it sounds like most of uh, Ganon's uh, f magical feats are equaled, possibly even exceeded by this sword. That being said, I do want to know some things uh with a little more clarity uh this business about ganon defeating link in his own game is banana pants 
And if true, like that, that will take this whole thing hands down because uh, Lino ain't showing up on an episode of Rainbow Bright, you know, and kicking all their butts. That's just not how it works. I also kind of want to hear a little bit more about this. Uh, I, I didn't realize that Lino was a kid who ha- is in an adult body and um, having a kid. I can tell you uh, if my kid were in an adult body, he would not be, he would not be beating anybody, uh, especially giant uh, basketball player wizards like Gannon. I think Lion O is still kind of ahead, but uh, uh, I still see a lot of room for Gannon to uh, uh, come in here because, again, 80s magic is a lot of puffery, and um, I, I, I don't think it's going to scale up to quite the level that you're presenting it, James. Listen, here, here's the thing. Lion O is not like your typical 80s cartoon character all will be revealed by point number three with that being said ray this is rare where i'm ahead two rounds to none but we all know you are very good at cheating at coming ahead for round number three let's see what you got see if you can get the ko hit us with your point number three I mean, Chen, you talked about it yourself. Lion-O is a small boy. This is not somebody with a ton of combat fighting experience. Link, as I said before, needs to do an entire, like, 50-hour game to build up to the point where he can take on Ganon. Lion-O just doesn't have that. Yes, his sword is extremely uh, powerful. His sword can do things. In the show... My remembrances of it is he shoots the lower level guys and blasts them with the sword. And then when he comes up against Mumra, who isn't exactly the sh- you know, the fastest character on the planet, he never seems to land those shots with the sword of omens that he needs in order to defeat Mumra. He usually has to find other means to defeat him on the show. Just want to put that out there. Now, the story of Ganon is wild because Ganon is essentially a force of nature. He has been uh, destined to keep coming back, keep getting resurrected over and over again over the millennia, and then coming back and taking over all of Hyrule, trying to take over the entire world. And then that prophecy happens where Zelda and Link become born because they are destined to eventually defeat Ganondorf. And as we know at the end of Ocarina of Time and the split storylines, that doesn't even always happen, right? And so Ganondorf, even when he's defeated, he never actually like dies. He just goes back to a spirit realm and then is reborn, recreated again at a later time. So he's essentially more like a god-like entity. And that is important for a whole lot of different reasons. I left out some of the more powerful magic that he can do because he can teleport himself. He can teleport himself. He does it all the time. Sometimes he moves very, very fast. Turns out dude was just teleporting. He could also teleport other people around him, including Link, which he has done on a number of occasions, and send them to the dark world where their bodies become ravaged by this world. And instead of having the external forces of what they appear to be, their bodies that are transformed to represent their mind and their spirit. And if Lido is just a little boy in a buff guy costume, if he gets sent to the dark world, he's going to turn back into a little boy and he's going to be no threat whatsoever, even if he comes back. 
He can also, Ganondorf, create portals. He can create portals to other dimensions. He can create portals to the other side of the room. Uh, he can create portals. People go through them, and they who knows where they're going to end up. That's another way that he can go besides just the teleportation. Also, he's shown the ability to possess other characters. Why couldn't you possess the mind of a child? It wouldn't have a lot up there. wouldn't have that natural psionic defense of a more veteran opponent or somebody who's used to those kind of attacks. Lionel is not. Possession, I think, could work very, very well. This is a character who broke the mirror of Twilight. It, the amount of power required to do so was so much that it was said in the game, literally only one person in this entire universe could do it. And that's Ganondorf, the most powerful character of his entire realm. I don't know that Lionel can necessarily say the same thing, especially if he doesn't have that sword in his hand. But he could also curse. Like he has so many powers, I'm never going to get to them all. But he could do a death curse, which works on trees, works on the environment around him. Uh, it's a death curse. I don't think it's quite as powerful as the one from, say, like Harry Potter. But it causes everything around him to wither and die. He also can create holograms of himself. And all of those holograms are imbued with full magic of himself. So he can create, like Beerus last time, he can create a whole bunch of different characters who could all blast magically. Also, he could then, by my nature, create a hologram of a red laser pointer dot on the ground, take it into a portal. Lionel would have no choice but to chase it into the portal to the dark world. Mark that down. He also once created a spirit, dark spirit version of Link. Why could he not also create a dark spirit version of Lionel to fight himself? What a way to pull this off. And the last thing I want to talk about, next to last thing I want to talk about, the Triforce of Power. In many iterations of Ganondorf, he has one-third of the mighty Triforce. His part is called the Triforce of Power. This is how he gets a lot of wins. He uses it to take over the lands, and it takes entire teams of Seers and Wizards and Zelda and Link all leveled up as high as they can go to bring him down at the end of the game. Not just one character, a whole heck of a lot of them. The Triforce of Power embodies the essence of the Goddess of Power, Din, which means it's referred to as the true power of this universe. Using it, he could become completely invulnerable to all damage, as well as enhances and buffs his magic by imbuing it with a mystical power that he brings forth from all the other uh, generations. And the last thing I want to talk about, Ganondorf, uh, he runs an army. He runs an entire, you know, he takes over Hyrule. He takes over the world, which means what? It means that he most likely collects taxes from the villagers all around him. And what does that mean? It means that he has great knowledge of tax law, something that in previous episodes, Lion-O has proved he does not have. All that combined is well enough to get me a victory today. And that's my point number three. I don't know if I have enough time to push back on everything that needs to be pushed back. First of all, Lionel is helping a third Earth society that doesn't use, you know, such crazy amounts of currency. They use more like trade and try to be fair and everything. So taxes aren't a big deal. Taxes are associated with evildoers. Literally, Robin Hood style evildoers were collecting from the poor inhabitants of third Earth. That's who Lion is fighting and telling him, hey, you want to collect taxes? Not over my dead body. Not going to happen. All right. 
Now, moving on. So there's no need for tax laws, what I'm trying to say. Let me get to what I need to say about rebutting your point number three. Now, Lionel has a ton of fighting ability as a 12-year-old. This is kind of crazy because, remember, he's actually from royal lineage, which means he already has a lot of kind of instinctive stuff imbued into him. At 12 years old, he's already got insane combat feats, which I'll list in my point number three. Look, me at 12, yeah, I was already in an adult body. Ray, I think it was the same thing for you. And we had the mind of a 12-year-old. Good luck to any anybody who would cross either of our paths in a bad way. Now, on top of that, when Ganon goes away to regenerate after he gets defeated, it takes way more than two minutes to regenerate to come back into the you know battle, what have you. So if he does that, he automatically loses right there. Ganon teleports, yeah, but he teleports into the battle. He doesn't teleport away. It's a cool plot device. He teleports into the fight. He's actually a cool-ass warrior. I'm just going to say it. He teleports in. He doesn't teleport people away. On top of it, Link typically beats Ganon Every game, just putting that out there, Race to Canis. You know, death curses, soul and psychic attacks, all that. By the way, Sword of Omens has already helped Lionel defeat all of that. By the way, it's not the sword. It's what's in the sword, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, Lionel has fought a dark version of himself already, someone equal power and what have you, and beat him. He beat a dark version of himself in one of the episodes of Thundercats. And look, let me just get to my point number three. And my point number three, I'm going to say it, it's time for power beyond power. Because as magnificent, as magnificent as Lionel is physically, and as great as his weapons are, there's another reason why he would always win his battles in such impressive ways. It was really all due to the Eye of Thundera, that super powerful mystical gem that was embedded in, I think, the hilt of the Sword of Omens. It was the source of the Thundercats' power. It's to hide evidently directly to their life force. It's traditionally passed to the current standing lord of the Thundercats, which means it's Lionos. And this Eye of Thundera directly activates and, and comes to life. In so many episodes of the Thundercats, it was literally their deus ex machina. It did whatever they needed Lionel to have accomplished to get the win. This is crazy. So what could it do? It's got dominion over other magic, as in magics plural. I don't exactly know what dominion means. In Canada, we had dominion, which was a grocery store chain, and there were lots of wonderful items in there. So that's a hugely powerful thing. Uh, it can also reverse magic. So all of a sudden, Ganon's attacking him. Lionel's going to be reversing that magic with the Eye of Thundera. It can control technology, because why not? It can create and control weather. It can take over weather. It's fully sentient, by the way. It can act on its own free will. It has, again, limitless magical power and represents the entire magic of planet Thundera. Uh, let's see. When focus is power through the sword... The beam is strong enough to hold an entire planet together when it's already in the process of exploding. That was what was happening to Third Earth in one episode. And he used the Eye of Thundera to keep the planet together as it was being torn apart. Not only did he keep it together, he then held it together indefinitely. That is insane. It acts as that warning of danger. We see that when the Eye awakens and growls whenever there's any Thundercat in danger. This alerts Lionel so he can rescue his friends or go to action, whatever he needs to do. The eye is able to blast through the full thickness of the planet Third Earth from its core to the surface in a matter of seconds. That is crazy, powerful, destructive energy. The eye can also remove any sort of dark magic, sorcery, or hypnotic spell from any Thundercat, especially Lionel. Remember, this thing is a sentient life form that acts on its own. It's, it's insane that he has this extra kind of partner with him at all times. Now, on top of all this, let's talk about what Lionel has actually had to face and beat 
one-on-one, what he has had to do by himself, not with the rest of Thundercats, and some of his big wins. He beat this character called Groon the Destroyer, super powerful physically, has super strength, and has an arsenal of ghostly powers. Ghostly powers! That's crazy. He beat all of the Berserkers. This is an insanely powerful group of space Vikings, and it was an episode called The Thundercutter. When you have an episode called The Thundercutter, you're just a different level of badass right away. Now, this is really cool. He beat a character named Safari Joe. This is an intergalactic big game hunter. Now, think of a high-tech version of Craven the Hunter. And not only did Lionel beat Safari Joe, he actually lured Safari Joe into a trap he made on the fly. And when he trapped him, he said, listen, I'll let you go. I won't kill you, literally, if you promise to give up big game hunting. He did all this when he was 12. This is crazy. Remember, he's got this crazy magic. Maybe it's the Eye of Thundera feeding him this magic and knowledge. Who knows? He beat every member of the Thundercats, one after the other, rapid style, uh, in just one episode. I think the episode was called The Anointment Trials. This is great. He beat a character named Mongor, this powerful enemy that feeds off fear, and it grows stronger as someone's fear increases. And Lionel eventually realizes that fear is Mongor's real weapon and just refuses to be afraid. He manages to weaken Mongor and beat him. This is crazy. Rotaro, another dangerous, super powerful opponent who has what is called the Sword of Plundar, I believe. That's another super powerful eye you know, uh, sword equivalent to the Sword of Omens, and he beat Rotaro with that sword that was equal to his. And finally, Lionel absolutely defeated, as in destroyed, a Super Saiyan, an amped-up version of Mumra. Remember Sir Robert Clark Chan? I said Lionel's a little bit different from other characters in the 80s from animation because Lionel actually destroyed Mumra. Did He-Man destroy Skeletor in the 80s? No. Did Cobra actually get completely destroyed in the 80s? I don't think so, but, you know, who knows? The whole point is Lionel actually destroyed Mumra. The last episode of the Thundercat series, Mumra powered up, amps up, takes on Lionel. Lionel amps up the whole thing and takes out the ultimate source of evil and wins. That is crazy. Look, he's got the ultimate 80s cartoon power, and that is plot armor, which means whatever he needs to get done, he'll figure out a way to do it. That's why Ganon loses. That's why Lionel wins. That's my huge point number three. Hope you enjoyed it. So, so much to say in a short period of time because there's none left after you You took over the floor. Look, Lionel is a small child brain, right? He needs Panthro and his other characters of the Thundercats to tell him what to do, where to go, how to win his battles. He's too reckless. If he just tries walking in the front door against Ganondorf, he's going to get his doors blown right off. And it just occurred to me, you know, there's a big moment. The sword is very important. But in the Thundercats cartoon... Did you know that the Sword of Omens was actually broken and all the energy in it dissipated? Wow, that must have taken a really large, powerful attack to do so. All it took was his friend Tigra with his whip. He took his bolo whip, whipped at the sword as Lionel was charging, broke the tip off of the sword, broke it in half, and the magical energy was dispersed. If a whip with bolas at the end of it, can take out your magic sword, Ganondorf has the tools needed. And you also mentioned the sword is sentient. Well, what can Ganondorf do to sentient creatures? He can teleport them to the dark world. So all he has to do is teleport your sentient sword to the dark world, and it's not coming back. And Lionel without that sword gets crushed in this battle. Also, plot armor, we're taking these characters out of their own worlds, so plot armor is really not a thing when you take them out 
of the Thundercats and Zelda worlds and put them together on a neutral location. Last thing to mention, the prophecy. The prophecy of Ganon says he can only be defeated by a character named Link with a character named Zelda. That's why they are born into the world every single time that Ganondorf comes back. That prophecy, it's the only way he's ever been defeated, right? Is by a character named Link because of his magical prophecy, not a character named Lionel. Just doesn't match. So at the end of the day, Ganondorf, there's just too many reasons why he defeats Lionel. And I've told you what plenty of them are. I'm ready for a decision. Tax law. As am I. As am I. All right, Robert Clark Chan, you've heard three points from both Ray and myself. It is time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us a story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Ganondorf and Lionel. Well, my heart is telling me to go with the laser pointer attack and say that Ganon's uh, laser pointer into a, a portal into another dimension takes the uh, cat out of the equation. But I'm not going to do that. Similarly, my heart wants me to say that the list of people you gave me that Lionel beat is reason enough for him to lose. Safari Joe? You're going to tell me that I'm supposed to respect a guy who beat Safari Joe. The Rataro? All of that was horrible. And I would have made him lose just off of that. But honestly, those two kind of cancel out. I think... What you brought was real strong, James, in that uh, last round. The Eye of Thundara does a lot of stuff. I kind of would have liked to hear something uh, of the Triforce that could uh, counter that. Reversing magic, that's, that's a big one. Over on Ganon's side, though... Yeah, boy, he's a he's a force of nature that can't be beat by prophecy. I think we can uh, fudge that a little bit, like in a, in a one on one contest. Could could Lino win this time? And you know he'll be back. Yeah, he definitely can. So we're not going to defeat him permanently. He he could still be beat. Although it is pretty strong. I'm sure a lot of people tried to take out Ganon and couldn't. Boy, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of uh, uh, powers that work against the mind of a child. Uh, that's that's a real sturdy weakness to me. And uh, obviously, the thing about eighties cartoons is you know they're made for twelve year old boys. So of course he's going to win everyone. But in you know the real world, a real world, sorry, in um, a magical world. Someone like Ganon is just going to run circles around him, uh, smarts-wise, and uh, show him up for a fool. Probably could take that sword away uh, relatively easily. Physically, Lino definitely has the edge. Magically, even though Lino has dealt with a lot of mummer stuff, Ganon brings even more experience to the table. I think Ganon's strongest play is those portals. He's got a bunch of them, and two minutes is a pretty easy thing for him to do to send Lionel off to uh, somewhere else. But my God, that Eye of Thundara held together an entire planet? That's straight-up cosmic-level stuff. That's Silver Surfer stuff. And I honestly, honestly do not understand how Conan the Barbarian beats that. Uh, somehow in the past... Uh, that has happened on this show, but uh, that just puts him in an 
entirely another level of power that I don't think Ganon beats. There's there's an outside possibility, Ugh. but no, just based on what I have here in front of me, Lionel wins. I and don't know. There you have it. This was one of the most intense, hard. To, I, I mean, it, I don't even know how to wrap my head around all the preparation I had to put into today's battle. Look, for those who don't know, this is a redemption match for Lionel. He lost against Conan the Barbarian for what I would call not the greatest reasons. And people have been contacting me nonstop, well, once in a while, I should say, to ask, when is Lionel coming back? Put him up against someone who's even more insanely powerful. Let's have a real matchup. Ganon came in. Ray Cicadas did a great job of representing Ganon. And Ganon's a fighting master, great experience, magic beyond magic. But I just knew that this version, only this version of Lino, had a chance to get the win. Leave it to Robert Clark Chan to use his judgeness of uh, destruction to come up with the right answer. You have restored faith in the world. Thank you, Robert Clark Chan. Race to Canis. It was a close matchup yet again. What are your thoughts on Robert Clark Chan's decision? I'm actually okay with this decision. What? No, I'm lying to you, James. Of course, oh. that's a terrible decision. Robert Clark Chan. Oh, if James needs a win, what is that 17 in a row that Robert Clark Chan has given to James? I'm starting to wonder what's going on. Are, are, is James intentionally sabotaging the power grid of where our judges live so that Robert Clark Chan can come back onto the show and just give him another victory undeserved? I am outraged. I am beside myself. I am beset with ruin at this decision i'm not saying yes i'm not saying no all i'm saying is thank god for robert clark chan all right listen i am so happy you came onto the show proving yet again what i've always known which is that you are a master among amongst masters when it comes to judges there's a reason why you're a fan favorite there's a reason why our ratings are so high whenever you're on the who would win show robert clark chan thank you for just being you with all that being said please tell our fan base the legion of audience where they can find you online can find me online at knowingishalfthepodcast.com. Think of a cartoon that you used to watch growing up. It, almost certainly we have covered it. Take a listen to that episode. See what you think. Try out some more. Uh, we literally have hundreds, hundreds of them. AE Doubleback, if you, if you like wrestling, uh, things are getting real crazy around the, the wrestling world these days. Go, go ahead and listen to that. If you are in Los Angeles, by all means... This Thursday, May 18th, get out to the Alamo Draft House. It's a wonderful place to be anyway, and there's going to be a live comedy show uh, uh, that's very anime-based. I play a character who is definitely not Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, his name is Heihei Miyazaku, which is uh, not... Um, you, you can't sue me, is what I'm trying to say, for playing this character. Other than that, uh, yeah, have a nice life. You know, I, I got to tell you, knowing is half the podcast is fantastic. It's always great when we have the uh, top star of that show, top star by far, on the Who Would Win show, lending his credibility and his knowledge and great decision-making to this I'm episode. I'm glad Gina Again, was here. I'm glad Gina could uh, help you out Robert on Clark Chan. Robert Clark Chan. Listen, Gina's great. Ray is great. But you, sir, are a national, no, an international treasure like Tiny Lister. And uh, Terry Crews. All right. Race to Canis.
really well done today. You brought it. You did a great job with a video game character. And I had to go with what I think was the most powerful version of Lino using plot armor, the 80s magic, to barely get the win. You should be proud of yourself, good sir. Tell the Legion of Audience where they can find you online. All I could say is I gave several plausible paths to victory for Ganondorf and Robert Clark Chan opened up with two of them in a row and then stopped and said, but those two cancel each other out. I don't know how two points that both go the same direction cancel each other out in the mind of a judge. But here we are today. Welcome to the wild world of Robert Clark Chan. Obviously, massively disappointed in this uh, result. Uh, everybody at home, I hope while you're sitting around playing the uh, the Tears of the Kingdom, you're thinking to yourself as Ganon is wrecking havoc on everything. I didn't even bring up Cosmic Ganon, didn't think I needed to. I don't know that it would have helped me. Uh, probably not with this judge. I'll save it for the uh, redemption match down the road. Play Tears of the Kingdom and think to yourself, Lionel would have no shot here. You can find me on Twitter, at Almighty Ray. Take to the streets. Of course. All right. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gads. Remember to join the official Hoopman Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanis, Robert Clark Chan, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of the Who Would Win Show. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy, you gotta sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found.